All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor with our 32nd year of business. And with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, and we'd love to see you leave some comments. And don't forget to like the show the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 382 points, or 1.1%. The S&P 500 last week is up about 74 points, or 1.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 193 points, or 1.3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 16.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 21%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 17.1%. Thank you, Jeff. Welcome. Well, a little housekeeping before we kick off of this weekend's Money Wise program. Our trusty sidekick and our color man, Joe Rust, is having a little bit of technical issues, so he's not on his normal mic for this weekend show. So for any listeners, makes it sound like he's a little bit in a box. He is. We put him in the penalty box because he disagreed with Jeff and I during a portfolio strategy meeting, and he got a little too frisky. So he had to put him in the box. Bad, bad boy. (laughs) So just wanted to get that housekeeping out of the way so we don't have listeners trying to to try to think it's something's wrong with uh with the broadcast that uh, just have a little bit of technical issues but that's what happens with modern technology so this past week in the meat in 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 the crux of the earnings season and so far for the month of october it seems that the market is absorbing the information well. And when you look at the actual statistics, and I know there was some hand-wringing that was coming into the third quarter earnings report, so I just wanted to give just a quick update before we go any further into the show as far as how earnings are shaping up. And this is a report as of Friday's close. So as of Friday's close, 23% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported Actual results, and this is earnings per share EPS, uh, for the third quarter of 2020, of 2021. Of these companies, 84% have reported actual earnings per share growth above estimates, 
which is above the five-year average of 76%. Now, if 84% is the final percentage for the quarter, it will tie the mark with the second quarter of 2020 and the third quarter of 2020 for the third highest percentage of S&P 500 companies reporting a positive earnings surprise since fact sets began tracking this metric back in 2008. So in aggregate, companies are reporting earnings that are 13.4% above estimates, which is also above the five-year average of 8.4%. So that's earnings per share. Let's just look at revenues quickly. Let me turn to that. As far as revenues, 75% of the S&P 500 companies that have reported actual revenues above estimates, which is above the five-year average of 67%. In aggregate, companies are reporting revenues that are 2.2% above the estimate, which is also above the five-year average of 1.4%. And in total, we have seen 15.3% of actual revenue growth so far. There will be a pop quiz after the show I was gonna say, <laughs> for any listeners that want to uh, yeah, chime in, and we're going to ask some questions about those yeah, numbers. That, that's a lot of numbers. So since I it is not possible for me to get through an entire MoneyWise program without disagreeing with my brother on something. Of course not. <laughs> and so you, you talked about it this that, that we're in the crux of earnings season. I will disagree. The crux of earnings season begins next week. And you want to know why? Because of the statistic I'm getting ready to read you. As of the close of trading, this was on last Friday. This is not up to date for our most recent Friday. Just five, ladies and gentlemen, five stocks in the S&P 500 index, which represents just 1% of all the index stocks, are responsible for 20% of the index's return this year. Now, I believe at least three of those five are reporting their earnings next week. Number one is Microsoft, which will be reporting on the 25th of October, which is, I believe, Monday. Apple will be reporting on Friday, on pardon me, Thursday, the 28th, as, and then Facebook is also on Monday. So on Monday, we've got Microsoft and Facebook reporting after the market closes on Monday and then Apple on Thursday. Those are three of these five stocks that I'm just talking about. These three stocks need to deliver next week or the market might not continue in this little euphoric stage that we've had here the last, well, really for the month of October. I mean, we, we're up for the quarter today which is basically for the month of october what are we 20 what are we 15 trading sessions in roughly roughly and the dow's up five and a half the dow the s&p are up almost five and a half percent and the nasdaq's up 4.4 percent which totally reversed what happened in the last two weeks of september i believe that the dow on friday was that an all new all-time high for the dow i believe it was was. Uh, 35.67. I'll be able to tell you that in just a second. So the real meat and potatoes, to me, occurs next week. If any of these three stocks don't deliver, the markets are going to 
the market's going to reflect something going to reflect a negative week if these three stocks don't deliver next week in earnings well the entire market isn't driven completely on these three stocks jeff as you said yes these five stocks are responsible for 20 percent hold on of 20 of 20 percent but let's talk about the other the other uh 495 stocks that that amass 80 percent the other 80 percent of the returns for the S&P 500. So I understand that, yes, a lot of the S&P 500 performance this year has been driven by these handful of stocks, but these five stocks aren't going to completely make and break the entire United States stock market. But let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or even take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a comment and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to break, of course, Jeff and I, in typical, in typical little brother, older brother fashion and complete dis- not complete disagreements, but talking about the earnings season, I guess, Jeff, when I use the word in the in the crux of earning, I, I guess I chose the wrong word and just said that we're in the middle of earnings season. Mm-hmm. You know, and so far, the results have been very positive. We've seen great EPS growth and our performance. We've seen great revenue, revenue growth up 15.3%. And yes, next week coming up, we definitely have some bigger heavyweights, whether it's Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, some of the stocks that have been a real big driver to the market's performance. I wouldn't say just for this year, but for many years going looking in the past. Yes. Okay, so, so the other two are Google and Amazon. And, and Google reports on uh, the 26th, which is, that's Tuesday. Tuesday. And Amazon uh, reports on Friday, on Thursday, same day as, as Apple. That's all five. All report next week. That is the crux of earnings season. So you got the, the five stocks. And I, I'm not sure that if Amazon is... I mean, Amazon for the year hasn't had the greatest of performance. If you look at it this year, hasn't really done much of anything, but they're the five biggest in the S and P 500. So the, the big five report next week and and that that's going to set the tone for me to, to me, that'll, that's going to set the tone for the coming weeks, because if we have more, more of those are not say, something negative about the outlook. I mean, they'll probably, let's say they all come out with great earnings for the third quarter. Well, the third quarter is in the rearview mirror, right? Now we're looking forward. What are they seeing looking forward? Now, well, Apple, these, Apple is already these companies. Amazon, you know, Apple is going to be the, probably the one that's going to have the most to say about challenges but they've already said that last week. They've already said that the pe- two you weeks I, ago. You and I both know they've been that, lowering the bar yeah, yeah. because of supply yeah, but, strength. Yeah, but you and I both know that just because they've been talking about it for the last few weeks doesn't mean that if it gets thrown into the earnings report, that they're not going to be able to say, "Oh." 
my goodness, look at this, even though they've been talking about it. Well, so I will never, never underestimate the market's ability to discount the same news 20 times, right? Well, I mean, just like they can buy the rumor and sell the news. I mean, there's always that possibility. But the bottom line is, is Apple going to be a going interest two years from now? I'm yes. Sure. Absolutely. But Amazon. We're not, yes. We're not, we're not Microsoft, talking about yes. we're not talking about companies being in Facebook. Business. Who knows? But, but yeah, Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Yeah. Actually, Facebook just announced this past week that they're going to be changing their name. I don't know if y'all read that or y'all saw that. I know they're going to be going to a model similar to Google where it's like a controlling company like Alphabet is the parent company of Google and every other subsidiary company under the Alphabet umbrella. And Facebook is going to be going to that similar, um, that similar, I guess, umbrella type situation because they own WhatsApp and Instagram, which all have their own independent names, but they're all owned by Facebook. So I know they announced that this past week and speaking about social media. What's the name of that company? Name of which company, Jeff? The company that you say they're changing their name to. They they haven't announced it yet. They just said that they're going to I actually saw it and it was weird. It was weird. I can't remember what it was, what what it was, but people aren't going to say, well, I'm going to go whatever that weird name is. Talking about the metaverse. I know that he's trying to rename the company to, to be all encompassing around this metaverse. And I know this is something that Mark Zuckerberg is really big on. And that goes back to when they created the Oculus or they bought the company that created the 3d glasses, augmented reality, but I know that Mark Zuckerberg's real big about this digital reality utilizing these 3D goggles and this metaverse. And, and I haven't put much time and study into what all of it encompasses when you use metaverse, but I know that that is why he's kind of wanting to do the rebranding of Facebook and all the other subsidiary companies that Facebook owns to be encompassed within this quote-unquote yeah. metaverse. I, I don't know that na- changing a name is the company is going to have any uh, any change in the the political climate that that particular that, that company faces right now. We don't own it in our portfolios. We haven't owned it all year in our portfolios. We haven't owned it in years. Period. Uh, the other the other four Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, and Google we do own in our portfolios. And and I think that next week is the most important week of earnings news uh, until the next piece. And I think it's probably in terms of news news, like next week is going to be the most important news week for the markets until we get to the Federal Reserve meeting, which isn't happening until November. I knew that was coming. Well, well Jeff, well, well, Jeff. Fed, I was right to see if we can get through two segments without talking about the Fed. Well, <laughs> You lost your bet. Did you you have money on the side with dad? I just mentioned the me. I just mentioned the meeting in terms of market moving news. Uh, I've got a question, Jeff. I got a question concerning these companies with all the things that we know, all of the knowns that are out there, the supply chain constraints, the employment issues, the feckless leadership in Washington. And that's an insult to the word feckless, even saying feckless, all of these knowns, I mean, are are analysts in Wall Street really anticipating? I mean, yes, they could be doing well for their third quarter earnings. But is anyone anticipating for them, for these companies to be saying anything extraordinarily positive about the future with all of these knowns that we don't know when are going to unwind? 
We don't know when we're going to get back to true full employment. We don't know when the supply chain constraints are going to be fully unwound and how long that's going to take. We don't know from a policy or lack of policy or just horrible policy standpoint coming out of Washington when that's going to subside. Well, I don't think so, Paul- I don't think politics have anything to do with the earnings of these companies. No, but I'm talking about their forward guidance. I'm talking about forward guidance because the Biden administration is not going to be putting any kind of forethought into policies that are going to be, I think, hugely what beneficial. Are we, are we talking about the companies? Are we talking about politics? You're, you're mess- I don't understand what we're talking about. Here. What we're talking about okay, is about, making any policy about- changes that could benefit unwinding some of these issues that affect these companies, such as all of these payments that have been going to people okay. and trying to get them motivated going back to work, things of that nature, trying to do whatever they can to unwind the supply chain issue. It also, well, look, this does, this, this, sometimes the market does involve politics. Didn't Biden also say that, there might be an infrastructure bill somehow or another passed next week. I'll I mean, there's, there's no telling. I can't trust as far they're as I can throw together, them. So. They're coming together and making – and that could have an impact next week as well as earnings. I mean, uh, personally, I don't think the administration has a, has an absolute clue. I mean, they can't even buy a clue as, as far as all of the damage that has been done by just their pure idiocy. So – you know, right. the so bottom line is, but the bottom line is, of all these companies, Jeff, is anyone really anticipating for them to be saying anything glowing about the Ford guidance? Is it going to be a surprise? I don't think it is. Okay. So if they don't say anything glowing, or, or they're very, uh, they're less than what the market expects in terms of expectations for the future, would you, don't you think that would be a, uh, put a damper? on on expectations for growth or expectations for earnings growth or expectations for margin expansion uh and if and if and if those those expectations are tempered considering that we're at all-time highs for the most part not in all the indexes but very close to them uh i would i would have to say that that would have a dampening effect on expectations for next for next year uh if they come out with outright misses on any of their earnings expectations and i don't know that they are or they aren't the market is going to have a negative reaction to that and if the market could sell down five percent in two weeks at the end of september uh it could certainly sell down five percent in a week on a couple of unexpected blips in earnings and so one of these big five names i mean we've come i mean the, the s&p 500 is up 21% this year. Uh, you can't tell me that stocks are inexpensive. Depends and, uh, Depends on what sector you're looking at. Depends on a lot of different variables. I, but if I, you're I looking at the market broad, but, but the market broad is pace. being driven by five stocks right now. A, a good chunk <laughs> of it, but it's not all five of those stocks. You said five stocks are driving 20% of the return. Yes. 20. Not yes. 80 not 50, 20%. No, 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 no. Okay. And these stocks yeah, yeah, are not at all-time one, highs. 1% of the S&P 500 is driving 20% of the index's return. What, okay. This, this, we're talking about the breadth of the market. I understand and we, that. And, but... we've, and we've been talking about the breadth of a market for, for a period of time. Another thing that's also happening, we can't, we can't forget about interest rates. 
We can't. Well, I know we got we got to take another break. Okay, we got to take another break. So I want to make one point when we come back. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a comment, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, Jeff and I are in a deep discussion, you know, and this is, and the reason why we talk about this on this show and what we've said from day one of the MoneyWise program is the point of our show and our platform is to really pull the curtain back. It's to pull the curtain back on Wall Street, on the products that they sell. It's to pull the curtain back on portfolio strategy and portfolio strategy meetings. I mean, these are the types of conversations that we have in our office each and every week between the three of us as portfolio managers. Sometimes they get heated. Sometimes they're not. But this is the yin and yang that goes that goes into making investment management decisions in a portfolio, having different ideas different forecasts, different visions of the current market condition in the future. And so that's why we're having these conversations on the air. So, Jeff, you were mentioning that 20% of the S&P 500 is being driven by these 1% of stocks, which in these five big stocks is the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google. Which which one did I leave off? Microsoft. 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 So out of all five of these companies, not a single one of them is at a 52-week high today as of Friday's close. Not a single one. Okay. So even, you know, even though you're talking about the broader market, the S&P 500 close back to an all-time high, these five major stocks that have been a big, huge growth engine for the S&P 500 this year, they're all not at 52-week highs. So all I was trying to say before we went to the commercial break is yeah, they can knock the cover off the ball of their third quarter earnings. That's in the rear view. But I think with everything that of all the knowns that are currently out there, can anyone truly anticipate that Microsoft is going to give some huge rosy forecast? And my answer is no, they're not going to, but the big unknown is how is the market going to react to that? Is this already kind of baked in and anticipated, I guess, is my point of when this information finally comes out. Now, that doesn't mean that they might not sell off 3 4 5%, maybe 6%. That might occur this next week if they give that dialed back forward guidance. But I would say as these companies as a whole, fundamentally, for the longer term, these are portfolio. These are stocks that you want to own inside of your portfolio. Maybe Facebook would. I'm I'm on the fence of because of all the political uh, implications. But of the other four, these stocks we do currently own, and we have owned them for a very long time in our portfolio. Granted, at a much lower allocation than we did at the beginning of the year. But these are four companies that I think anyone that has a portfolio investing in the stock market that these are four stocks that you really want to own yeah joe 
Well, one of the things you have to be leery of in, in doing a lot of mutual fund research in the last week on the 401k side, and Jeff and I and you were discussing this earlier, if you're talking about the S&P in general, yes, but if you look at your portfolio, you always want to be very cognizant of what you have. Most of those stocks you're talking about are usually going to be in any kind of large cap growth fund, and it's going to constitute a very large percentage of, of uh, your top 10 holdings. So what I'm getting at is it's a great time to review what you have. And if you do have you know, a, a you're really, really overweight, large cap growth, it could be a time to evaluate that, maybe take some, take some gains off the table. And, and expanding on that particular, on, on Joe's point, we have been discussing a particular mutual fund that's in our asset build in our asset builder accounts and debating whether this particular mutual fund should stick around in our portfolio uh, though it's got an excellent record and, and good managers and comes from a very reputable company, one of the biggest problems with this particular mutual fund or the biggest concerns, I, I should change my wording there, is that it has a 10% position in one stock, which happens to be one of these five. And that's 10% of the portfolio. And all of us here sitting at, at, at doing this show know that we would never hold 10% of a individual company stock. I'm not talking about an exchange traded fund, I'm not talking about a mutual fund, I'm talking about an individual company stock would not comprise 10% of our portfolio ever. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yes. But this, this, this mutual fund currently holds 10% of its assets in one of these five stocks. So dovetailing on that, and the research that I did in the last week, Almost every other large cap growth fund that we looked at had a position of 5% or more, either in Apple, Microsoft, some, not particularly Netflix, some of these names, Facebook, these names we just talked about. So just be very cognizant of what you have and where your portfolio is. So if you have a large cap growth fund and you have the S&P, you need to evaluate that and, and take maybe, maybe trim some of your gains. But basically, basically what you're talking about is over-concentration yep. in one particular name, just like the example we gave in that mutual fund holding a 10% position in just one individual stock. And, and, that's, and, that's, a very, and that's a very valid point. But, but the other thing I, I want to just get our listeners you know, not to forget of why we own stocks, why you own stocks in your portfolio, and you own stocks to participate in the growth of, of these companies to have an ownership stake. That's what it means to own equity in a particular company, be it Amazon, be it Apple, be Facebook. The bottom line is with all the other external forces that we've talked about time, you know, weekend and week out on the money wise program, a company's role, whether it's Apple, Facebook is always to innovate, to grow, to try to expand margins, to cut costs where they need to. So yes, there might be a rough, a rougher road ahead of them right now because of all these external factors, but it's their job and, and it's your job as an investor to find the companies that you feel are going to be the best, the best and, and, and able to navigate these environments. Who's going to have the best ship on the choppy seas? And right now, the seas are definitely more choppy. Do you think Apple and their management are going to be able to navigate the waters better than another company? Because that's their role. Because CEOs, their compensation is tied to the performance of their stock. 
they have an obligation to their shareholders to increase shareholder value. Okay. And they have to do that in a multitude of different ways. All right. Jeffrey, rebuttal. Yes, several. Number one, uh, Microsoft, I, don't have, I didn't have time to research all five of these while Kyle was on a soapbox. But Microsoft is $1 off its all-time high, much less 52-week high. So give me that a, was, give me yeah, a break I, on okay, this week's that, 52-week okay, stuff. T- give me the other break. four. Give me the other four, I, I don't have time to research them right now. Exactly. I already okay. have. Great. I'll tell you what. On the next show, I'll, we'll have we'll, – you tell me what your parameters are and what you want to go to town with, and I'll do the same thing. But what I'm getting at is the price-to-earnings ratios of these stocks – Look at Microsoft. What's their P.E.? You don't know. It's 39. Uh, it's 39, yes. What's, what's the P.E. of Apple? 29. What's the P.E. of Amazon? 60. What's the P.E. of Facebook? 25. What's the P.E. ratio of Google? 31. Four of those five are all above the current S&P 500 average P.E., Four of the five. Facebook is probably above it, too, but it's actually the lowest P out of those five. The problem here is, K-Man, is you have to understand that in the portfolio, the portfolio, we're looking for the best stocks. And sometimes the best stocks aren't always the best companies. There are lots of good companies, but that doesn't mean that they're going to have a good stock. There are I can't name the gazillions of examples of companies that, that have existed for the entire history of capitalism that were good companies, but they weren't great stocks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they were great stocks, and sometimes they weren't great stocks, right? Well, Jeff, let me let me. T- what I'm saying here is is that what you what people have to be investors need to be careful of is. Understand that these big five names aren't always going to go up. And they aren't always going to be the leaders. Because people were saying this about the Nifty 50 in the 1970s. And if you go back at 20 years and look at the, the best stocks in the last 20 years ago, it wasn't all these five names. And I don't know that these five names will be the leading stocks in the next 20 years. I don't think that they will be. There will be others. So all I and we own four of the five, as I said. But what I'm what I'm warning people about is that we're going into a period of time where we've had interest rates declining and declining and declining and declining and declining, and that's changing. And unless you give me a reason why interest rates are going to go to zero or below zero, interest rates and and this relationship between the Okay, interest rates are really low, so we could just keep paying up for earnings. We just keep paying up for PEs. We just keep paying up for these companies. It ends. It always has ended. Look at the late 20th century. Now, I'm not saying we're going into a three-year bear market, but there, I think we're going to be going into a period of time when these five stocks and others like them that have run up a ton – aren't going to be the best stocks. They might be great companies, 
but they're not necessarily going to be good stocks. And no, I'm not going to stop talking so you don't get in the last word before. before well, the- because I'm <laughs> well, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to get my last point in before we go to break. So I'm going to make know, the point. You know I love when you, we come, You I know. know I love you. So I'll make that point when we come back from commercial break, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to leave a comment and like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, I think this entire weekend's program is full-blown portfolio strategy, meaning pulling, pulling the curtain back. So listeners, and I know some of our listeners are clients. They can hear the debates that go on between us, all three of us, when it comes to portfolio strategy. And kind of, you know, I think it's good that we have this yin and yang type personality. You know, if, if everyone's all bullish, then it's going to be hammered, you know, pedal to the metal all the time. If we don't have sometimes conflicting viewpoints, that's what makes for sound, prudent, long-term investments in a portfolio. But, Jeff, you brought up a point about the price-earnings multiple of these five big stocks that are driving the S&P 500 being above that of the S&P 500. Well, if we were only looking to pick stocks that were at a 21 PE or below, our portfolio would be chock full of nothing but super sluggish, slow growth value names. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, a good, a good majority, a good majority of them would be that. A good majority of Kyle, I'm not advocating that you okay. only own stocks in your portfolio. See, you're twisting my words. Okay, man. okay. I did what I what I'm what I'm what I'm warning clients about is I, I'm talking to the clients. I'm talking to the listeners out there that have seventy five percent of their money or more in these five names. We don't. Fair enough. But, Fair so enough. If, if you added up, four, we own four of the five, and in total, those four are less uh, than four percent. Are less than four percent of our entire portfolio. Yes, Joe. Well, big picture, and and we talk about portfolio reviews during the break all the time. This is why you do a portfolio review. There's software that you can you can utilize that's actually show you what percentage of each one of these holdings that you have. And the only way you're really going to know if you're overweight and, and, and essentially the fang stocks. Okay, is if you do a portfolio review, if you have Apple as a holding, if you have a large cap growth fund as a holding, and you have the S and P as a holding, there's a really good chance you're going to be overweight in a particular, uh, more overweight in a particular fund uh, stocks that we talked about than the S and P is overweight. If that makes sense. No, and that's and that's the importance of a portfolio review and analysis that we provide to 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 listeners and anyone that wants to take advantage of it. But one other point I wanted to make about the price earnings multiple is you know one thing that we have set in our proprietary screening process is we like to look at the peg ratio, price earnings over growth. And out of the four names that we own of those five, how many of them violate the peg ratio that we have set? Zero. Okay. And, and re- hold on, but, but the G you got to let me finish growth. my point. The you got to let me finish my the point. G part, the G part is a moving target. 
This is true, but that's the reason why we're constantly vetting every single stock in our portfolio on a weekly basis to make sure that they're staying within the price earnings growth matrix that we have set in our proprietary screening process. And let me go to your point, Jeff, about you can have a great company, but not a good stock. You're right. Stocks go through seasons. Stocks have seasons just like now, now here in San Antonio and Corpus, we basically have <laughs> fall and, and summer. Except uh, for Snowmageddon. Except for Snowmageddon. We have a little you know, mulligan every so often. But, but that's the, the point that I'm trying to make is that at Davidson Capital Management, we're long-term managers. We're long-term investors. We're not traders. So that's right, Jeff. I agree. There can be some great companies that sometimes they're stocks and not sometimes all the time, all stocks go, go through certain seasons. Sometimes they go through a fall and a winter season where they're not producing as much in the portfolio as they have in the past. Amazon would be a classic example. But we've owned Amazon for years. And as it grows and it's in its summer seasons and it's really reaping rewards and benefits, we're scraping profits because you never go broke taking a profit. But the fundamentals of the company are still rock solid to own them for the longer term. And so as we're taking those profits and scraping those profits, we have a set allocation that we want, let's say, Amazon to be, where there might be periods of time where it's going through a fall and winter season, and it's not doing as well like it is this year. But that doesn't mean that this company isn't going to continue to produce results in our portfolio as a longer-term investor. And I think that's something that we advocate for any listener of the MoneyWise program is that you have to maintain more of a long-term perspective and not be a trader in the por- in your portfolio. You have to find rock-solid fundamental companies, strategically diversify your portfolio, not over-allocate to any one particular stock. Again, our rule is no more than 5% of your net worth in any one individual stock And then you find those solid fundamental companies. And if you're diversified properly, yes, your portfolio is still going to have ups and downs. But over the longer term, even as these great companies go through seasons, over the term, they're going to produce much better results. That's my point. As the official, now I'm going to give it over to Jeff. (laughs) Well, you got two minutes, Jeff. Well, you get the last word. I'm going to give you two minutes of the last word. That's my point. Jeff gets the last word. I get two minutes. Uh, Be lucky you got two a minutes. Lot of, a, a lot of these, a lot of the justification for the market's valuation as measured by the price to earnings multiple, which we can, I think, all agree is pretty much the classic multiple with which to measure the relative uh, attractiveness of a stock can we can we kind of agree on that that that's well classic that that's we're gonna ask we're gonna ask professor schiller about his he he wasn't my professor he wasn't my professor in 1987 when i took my first investment class so a lot of these valuations that are that are stretched and i i'm sorry gentlemen they're stretched in some of these companies and in some of these five companies they're stretched have been predicated on low interest rates. Have been, the justification for putting money into these stocks blindly has because interest rates are so low and they're just going to stay low as far as the eye can see. And that's changing. That is changing. And there's going to be implications. The other thing that, that scares the bejeebies out of me is some of these stocks are so widely held. Everybody in a gro- owns them. 
Who else is going to buy them? I guess look, you're forgetting look, of the trillions look. of dollars sitting in cash. Oh, here on we the go. I knew, I knew that was coming. The trillions of dollars that are going to put put all and their if, money and in if, and if interest And if interest rates are going up, that means that money is coming out of bonds. That money has to come and go somewhere. Oh, and, and I know goodness. you're talking about interest rates coming up, Jeff, but interest rates are not going to be 5% in a 10-year treasury anytime soon. I, I, I'm not anytime soon. I'm not, I know we're down to the last minute, so we'll have to tune out next week for part two. <laughs> for Stay part tuned. Two. Stay tuned. It'll be, it'll be a pay-per-view event. <laughs> so that's right so if you're a listener of money wise on 1200 woai we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show you can catch the second hour by going to our website at davidsoncap.com or subscribing to the money wise podcast through apple podcasts for listeners of money wise and corpus christi on 1360 kktx stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's money wise program and shifting gears into investor education so stay tuned and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management all opinions expressed by davidson capital management on money wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise, guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And... There was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really <laughs> going back to the Great Recession, which ended... And just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009, or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the, March 2009 was the proverbial generational low of the stock market. But the recession ended in June of 2009, although I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too long ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. They personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of 
what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas, Dallas Morning, Morning News. Dallas Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. And I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that, you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article. If I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would, I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions, and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the '80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were gener- were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%. And the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, the current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term in the long term past might now expect be expected to return 6% meaning that a 30 year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market but here's you know here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980, you're probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I, I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then inflate the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of all shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20 percent in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time. And I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably 
and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement. Retirement is retirement. You're only going to retire once. You can't go back and say, hey, I wish I'd have retired. Just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that uh, when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, when if I stayed until I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. Exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, <laughs> yes. you're thinking to yourself, wow. "Wow." I mean, I'd be on Easy Street. Wow, exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors. Thirty years ago, sure, ten-year Treasuries were paying twelve, thirteen, you know, percent, fourteen percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and again talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second, monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds? So you were actually getting a net negative return. Remember the 18, net of inflation, eighteen percent car loan. Yeah, exactly. I had on an Eighty-two citation. Exactly. You know, double-digit mortgage rates. So again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? 
you know what what was the actual net return was, after you take this out negative. it was negative so if you look today and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different it's the same tr- it's the it's a true statement today as it was 30 years ago as it was 50 years ago Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement, but I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And, and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of 2% inflation, you're actually net positive, net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the, eight, That's right. the late 70s or 80s. Now, one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was, benefit, one, yeah. you got nothing, nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401K was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401K that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401K with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds, their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had which, to stay. Which you could do. Yeah. Now, now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, People my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get though, Dad? Now with TRS, they can do external saving through payroll deductions into four hundred three bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement. Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott, Burns, There's more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the seventies, sixties, and eighties, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again... 
if if a worker has saved whoever he works for through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when... When you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. It. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a hundred percent survival rate. It has you a survival rate. You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero. But but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out to start what I call do financial road mapping, where. And this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is, you know, getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be. And and really, the expenses need to be relatively close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80% of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100%, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be extremely frugal. And and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB&J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, PB&J. Sorry. You had me going there. I heard you caught on the PB&J. trying to figure out what. what You're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not assu- going to survive. I-, I can assure you there of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able, able to do that. Be able to do that. And not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not- not always. You can't do that. Not even 100% stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying yeah. to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be 100% stock. And, and, again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous if now you've taken yourself out of the workforce. And so 
if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, you have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago reduces a survival rate from 94% to 77% based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's, get, let, let's get into the nitty-gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he's, he's, not he's, real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum. As opposed to being more in relatively speaking, you know, in today's time, it's not, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets, population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher. But I can't promise you that. I would think, well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of... Getting back to this, low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um... I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because, because dividend yields and interest rates. market returns yeah, That dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean, crushed that point in this article yes. because – you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career there, or you lose your retirements, where today you can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401K. So the 401K has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, 
and, Absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million-dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days you know, had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security, and for that you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401K, it's great. great And it's given everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career and choosing that career path. So again, that's Scott, not the golden age. That was would not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals, doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a five percent return, six percent return, seven percent annualized return. I will run it on those numbers, and I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market. That's why we always preach on this radio show. And again, one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee is change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes because – even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important. And over time, as far as valuations are concerned, Yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. 
So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued, are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year Treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not, but compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because there, the, there's key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan Changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over the investments. Has control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Basin Company. If you could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm -hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me... An annuity. Now it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything because all those years, all those years I worked, we're lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know again, you know there was a point I was going to make and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. (laughs) I'm having a senior moment now. You're approaching forty. Well, yeah. That's right. It's 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 not. It's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's, not, it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you're, you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill. But you know, again, when it when it comes down to your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security. Because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we we dealt with now I know for what six I was or say. seven years. Now this year, all of a sudden, we've got this move on. Well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down. Do nothing but indices. Uh, you know, let's let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You thought of it? Uh, it, it hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the 80s. Access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to, to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to do, go out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time <laughs> and be successful because of the speed of movement but 
back in the 80s, uh, you had the Wall Street Journal. No way. You didn't have research tools. You didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today. And if you wanted access to that technical data, how much would that cost? I mean, Lots a lot of money. Of money. Lots of money. Nowadays, you can go to bigcharts.com. You can go to Morningstar. I mean, there is a treasure trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own Monte Carlo analysis, your own backdated and testing of portfolios. You could All free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the main Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating, kind of commissions we were generating. Yeah. So did we have inside information? No. But we had information first. We were one of the original calls. Mm-hmm. They called you guys first we with got information. Because, because we generated commissions for them. Yeah. Well, and that's when yeah. you were managing pension assets yes. so, and yeah. trust assets. So, a- again, with today's technology, there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or a Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's t- take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to to working nine to five and and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, And again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s, average is around 4%. 
is around 4%, and right now we're right at two, one, between 1.8 1. and 2%, according to the government. And, again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago are, are, have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace of future developments because of technology. We've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies and we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s i mean dad i was a little boy you'd have to tell me if the u.s i mean we're always going to be the number one superpower but from an economic standpoint was it kind of the u.s and everybody else well i mean that's the way i looked at it i mean we, we seems to you know we still always seem to be the head of the dog so to speak and so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to make so, sure. And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of because, your age. Because uh, of because your age. Because of my age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So, they were the enemy. So, nothing has changed that. You know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese, rightfully so. Think about it. I know. So, so you can understand in the 80s, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing there's more flexibility. There are vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products, different products and way investments you know, are packaged. And, and the only thing that's the same <clears throat> today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people <clears throat> they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying. Or what they need. Or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of, of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I, you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things as far as commodities to me would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, 
your lifestyle or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. You have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio. As we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, you you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50. Could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and 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 again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.